Hey everybody, welcome back to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. I've got another interview for you this week. And this is an interesting treat. Garrett Roberson is a, he's a weekend woodworker, like a lot of us. Um, he's got his business, HMR Woodcraft, up in Michigan outside of Detroit. And he has got some wood, a lot of wood. It's one of those situations where he saw a downed tree, reached out to the landowner, and was able to uh, get access to the tree and has turned into quite a massive commission. And I think it's a nice little bow on our conversation about urban lumber and reclaiming urban lumber. And I wanted to bring Garrett on the show to talk about it. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right. I want to welcome to the show today, Garrett Roberson from HMR Woodcraft. Uh, Garrett runs his business uh, up in Michigan, Howell, Michigan, I think, right? Some kind of in the Detroit-ish area. Yeah, is that right? it's, it's uh, if you know where the University of Michigan is, it's about half hour north of that. Nice. So Very a nice. little more metro, uh, I don't know, Ann Arbor-ish, I guess. Uh, metro Ann Arbor-ish. I yeah, like I mean, I, I live out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so it's one of those situations where it's Howell address, but a different school system and then a township <laughs> and, right. you know, God knows what. Yeah, I, I get it. I understand that. I kind of like that, actually. No one can find you that way. It's much Oh, better. yeah, I love it. Live out so, quiet. You know, it's great. Oh, even better. That's fantastic. So, so Garrett reached out to me, um, and I kind of like the way he put this. Is it's kind of a we have a story that can wrap up all this kind of urban forestry that that I've been harping on about and interviewing people and talking about. Uh, Garrett basically, uh, well, he's a woodworker. You do this full time, is that correct? Nope, nope. No, uh, okay. Someday, I hope, but right now, still just uh, nights and weekends. All right. So like most of us, in other words. Yeah. yeah. Um, so typical woodworker driving down the road, sees a big tree and goes, huh, I wonder about that. So um, uh, tell us uh, the, the the background here. You you came across this tree and. Yeah. So go. Once upon yeah. a time, there was a tree. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. So I actually work in Howell and uh, Howell's, you know, like a lot of uh, small town cities, it's pretty old, but pretty small. And there's a mansion called the McPherson Mansion. And it was uh, kind of like one of the first families of Howell that came in with any kind of money. And they built this huge mansion back in 1915. So in front of it is just this enormous red oak tree. Um, you know, I think just the trunk section before the first you know, split to any sort of limb was over 30 feet. Wow. And, you know, I'd seen the tree a hundred times, driven by it a hundred times. And just, we had a really bad windstorm back in October of last year. And it uprooted this huge tree. So just one day when I went out for lunch, I drove past the mansion like I do. And I see you know, this gigantic red oak laying on its side in front of the mansion. And I didn't really think much of it uh, at the time. And then when I got back to work, you know, I was just kind of sitting there thinking, you know, it would be a real shame to cut that thing up into firewood, which yeah. I could almost guarantee you was going to happen uh, just because of kind of the environment 
that I live in. I mean, it's a rural area, plenty of people, you know, using some kind of wood burning heat of some sort. Mm. And I'm sure it would have eventually just came down to the owners of the mansion saying, get this thing out of here. You know, you can have all the firewood. Um, so, and it just broke my heart to be completely honest with you. I, well, especially because it was uprooted. It's not like, you know, it snapped in half in a storm. Like it was intact. It was just horizontal. Right. Yeah. And it, uh, it's hard to put into words how big this tree was. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think the rough, you know, measurement we got across, uh, not circumference, but diameter was well over 40 inches. Um, and so anyway, I got, I got back to work and I'm thinking about this all day and I say, you know, what the heck I'm going to see if there's any way to email, you know, whoever owns this place and just say, Hey, you know, I'm a furniture maker. Uh, would you be at all interested in making furniture out of this tree for the mansion? Um, the current owners actually re renovated it back in 2007 and it's now actually office space. So the current owners are, uh, the Myers, they have a law firm that's based out of that building now, and then they rent out the rest of it. So, you know, I managed to find kind of an info at mcphersonmansion.com and I just sent him this long-winded email about it's a beautiful tree and, you know, like woodworkers do, I'm reminiscing about how we should, you know, show it respect and, you know, make it into something beautiful and make it part of the history of the mansion and blah, blah, blah. And I send it out and uh, over a month went by, I didn't hear anything and I just thought, yeah, you know. They rolled their eyes at that one and and move along. But the tree was still there. Hmm. I drove past it all the time. So it ended up being about four or five days after Christmas of 2021. And I work in the automotive industry, so we're shut down. So I'm just sitting at home and I get a phone call from a secretary uh, for the Myers Law Firm. And she just says, Roger Myers will meet with you if you can be up here by two o'clock today. Roger Myers? Yeah, the owner. The the inventor, the the creator of Itchy and Scratchy? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the, the lawyer. Roger Myers I, Senior. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Nice. <laughs> um, so so anyway, so of course I, you know, say yeah, I'll be up there. So I go up, I meet with them. Uh, you know, we kind of walk around the tree a little bit. I can tell he really has no idea uh, what I'm talking about, but he did say, you know, my wife and I, when this thing came down, we really, we really thought that we could do something with it, but we didn't Mm -hmm. know what, and we didn't want it just cut up into firewood. Okay. So the fact that we were kind of already on the same page was, you know, a really big deal to me. I was like, okay, you know, these, this might be something that, that actually happens instead of just kind of me talking and then that's the end of it. So we look at the tree. I kind of, you know, just give them a rough idea. Hey, maybe we can do this or we can do this. And we go back into the mansion and they actually have a room, uh, one of the conference rooms that was the old dining room uh, when it was lived in by the McPherson family. 
and there's really nothing in there. So we go in here and he just says, do you think there's enough wood there to make a whole room full of furniture? Oh my God. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I, I consider myself okay ish, uh, woodworker. Uh, but you know, I figure this is my shot, right? So I just say, yeah, yeah, let's do it. I'm going to make you a whole room full of furniture out of this one tree. I knew there was enough lumber there for it. Uh, right. You know, the branches alone would have been enough lumber. Forget about the 30 foot, 40 inch wide, you know, trunk. Uh, and and folks, I'm going to I'm going to link to um, to Garrett's Instagram page. He's got uh, a video there. Um, what do you call it when you curate videos like a, a playlist, whatever Instagram calls these little playlist things? Yeah, stories, um, stories, yep. stories. They're still called stories when they're well, whatever. It's, I think it's, so curated on his page uh, and just entitled the red oak as he's walking around the thing is monstrous it's just enormous there's probably three rooms of furniture oh it's you know not to i'll I'll go back but just to jump ahead i mean uh between the sawyer and i it's over 2500 board foot wow yeah i mean it's it's crazy so so anyway uh so i i take a look at this room and you know, Roger says, you know, this room has a lot of significance. Uh, this is where President Taft ate dinner with the McPherson family. <laughs> and he shows me this picture in another room of, you know, President Taft sitting at this table. And, you know, he's like, that's why we never did anything with it, because it kind of has more historical relevance uh, just because this picture is here and all this. So I just say, OK, you know, I'll do it. And it's more, you know, one of those things, hey, put together a quote, send it over and we'll see what happens. Uh So luckily, I knew a local Sawyer uh, who I buy slabs from, who is about, you know, 20 minutes away. So my first step, I call him and I mean, it's the dead of winter. And I just say, hey, can you go drive by the McPherson mansion and check that tree out and let me know if you can do it? And how much is it going to cost? So, you know, he does what I ask. He sends me a quote. That looks good. He's confident he can handle it. Uh, and we're off and running. Wow. And I mean, that's kind of, you know, the story of how I found it and kind of how I got the job. Um, and then, you know, I don't I don't know if you want me to keep going into the the process well, after that, but. I, I have I have lots of questions. So yeah, yeah, of <laughs> let's course. go from here. Um, sure. Setting aside this the the sawing part, which I want to get to in a second, I'm curious. Um, obviously, you then kind of hashed out what what furniture you would be making, and that was part of your quote back to um, Roger Myers, correct? Yeah. So w- was it was the idea to turn it into kind of back into like a dining room, or or let me just the simple question is what are you making um, right. out of the tree? Sure. Uh, so he, you know, he didn't really have a lot of guidance. They didn't want it to, to be a dining room. They wanted it to be a okay. conference room um, because they rent out a majority of the building to other people. And these are kind of the common rooms that you can use if you have a business sure. there. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But other than that, it was kind of, hey, go nuts. You know, there was, hmm. there was a conference table in there that was just kind of a you know, cheapo buy it at a 
home goods store type of thing. And then there was just a little buffet to the side or cabinet uh, that they brought from like their old law firm um, that didn't match. And it was just kind of, you know, any said, he's like, we never come in here. This is just placeholders. Um, but I, I kind of took from that. We want a nice conference table and we want some kind of nice cabinet, buffet, sideboard, what have you. Right. And, but I knew how much wood was there. And I was like, man, uh, I'm going to throw a few other ideas at them. Just be, you know, why not? Um, but I mean, that really ended up being all it was. So I'm doing a conference table that is going to be four foot by 10 foot. Um, and I'm actually going to do that out of two book matched slabs, but with the live edge only to the middle. Um, okay. Yeah. One thing, well, one thing that, you know, and his wife started to get more involved as, as time went on and she had a much uh, greater opinion about what everything looked like, um, which was good because I really had no direction. It was kind of just like make furniture and it's like, oh, right. okay. You know, yeah, what could go wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me pull out a thousand ideas. Um, so she had a much stronger opinion about what she wanted to see, which was good. Uh, my original designs were very much um, with the conference table were very much kind of Nakashima minimalist, you know, sh- kind of shaker Japanese type of thing. Um, but I always liked the idea of the live edge only to the middle, especially as a conference table. Cause I liked the idea of the outside, um, you know, not getting into that, uh, I guess, live edge thing to me where it's like, do I sit where there's an indent? Do I sit where it pops out yeah. a little? Um, yeah. I wanted it's actually it, not, you know, it's not terribly functional when you think about it. And especially no. in, in a business space, like, you know, your, your suit jacket gets caught <laughs> on the edge of the table. This is a law firm, right? You know, and, and various right. other um, professional type organizations. Yeah. And then you wonder like, how fragile is it? And do I lean on it? And yeah. So I, I can actually see that you're also, you're kind of protecting the live edge by putting it towards the middle. Um, yeah. And, and preserving cool look, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I really did want something to have a live edge just so yeah. there was that kind of historical, this was that tree that was out front uh, that was here before this building was here. And here's a live edge of that tree. Um, but one I also thing- think just from a woodworking kind of trick perspective, um, certainly it's, it's all coming from the same tree. So grain and color match is pretty easy, mm-hmm. but you don't have to like, you don't have to disguise the glue joint. Right. <laughs> like, right. You know, it's, 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 it's there, you're hiding it in plain sight. Um, so you don't, even if the, the slabs are, because again, four foot by 10 foot, you're talking, two foot, essentially 10 foot slaps. You're this, mm-hmm. this is the part, part of the trunk Then you know, it's going to be hard to kind of blend it together. So right. by putting that live edge in the middle, blending is off the table, literally in this case, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I did want to do because this is a business and I did want it to be, you know, beautiful, but functional. I didn't want it to have this big gaping hole in the middle where the two live edges, uh, met, uh, mm-hmm. I, I ripped off, you know, I guess Greg class and, and I'm going to email or I'm going to, um, uh, inlay a piece of glass mm. that will match the live edge. 
So on the top, it'll be completely smooth. You know, you won't have someone drop a pen down in the middle of the table or something. Um, So that was kind of the general idea. And then I proposed all sorts of different uh, base designs. Uh, Like I said, all very kind of trestle-ish, many variations on that. And then the other thing was like just a really large uh, sideboard to kind of take place of the cabinet. Mm-hmm. And everything I was proposing, um, like I said, was kind of a minimalist uh, design, but everything was very uh, square with some you know rounds here and there. And uh, the wife honestly didn't like any of it except the live edge top with the glass. <laughs> and okay. and uh, it was great because you know I started this business four months, formally four months before uh, I took on this project. So this was my first client ever. And anything I'd made stuff before for anyone, it was friends and family. So there's no back and forth. There's no, you know, negotiation or talking about design or I don't like that. Uh, And it was, it really went well. Um, Long story short. So, she really wanted something that matched the period of the room in the picture with president Taft. The problem was, is everything in that picture was, you know, art deco (laughs) bow front, everything rounded, everything, uh, gloss painted, possibly, you know, metal chrome type, just something I would have never thought to do with a red oak, I guess, you know, you look at it and you think, yeah, walnut mahogany, uh, something is what she wants in a wood for this furniture. Um, so it, it took some, some kind of digging in my brain to figure out what to do. But what I ended up going with is I'm doing a bowfront buffet that is about six foot by two foot deep. Okay. Um, and then the table is the live edge top didn't change, but then the bottom are these kind of four opposing curved pieces, curved legs, I guess you could say that, uh, are going to be a stave construction and kind of just have like quarter round. I don't know how to say it quarter round sections. Um, and I also, did a lot of metal work prior to getting into woodworking. So I'm going to tie all these kind of half round stave pieces with, uh, like a steel rib. So they'll, when you look at it from the outside, they'll look like they're floating. Um, but they'll actually be tied together in sets of two. So you'll have two on the right, two on the left. Um, and they're going to be thin. They'll probably only be about an inch or an inch and a quarter thick, but then you'll have this, you know, steel structure on the inside that will give it a lot of weight and give it a lot of support. Yeah. Interesting. I do think it, you're, you're, you're right on the edge of that aesthetic though. Um, yeah. Echo idea. Yeah. Very it's cool. It's, it was something, well, the problem was, is, uh, at least from my, my, you know, my, I guess young curmudgeon standpoint was, uh, they did start getting into wanting to paint things. <laughs> and I I was very accommodating until then. And I kind of put my foot down and I said, oh, okay, 
I feel like you guys are disrespecting this tree and I'm not going to do that. Like you have this rare, rare, rare opportunity to have, you know, the tops of the buffet and the table are just one piece. You know, the sides of the buffet are just one piece. You know, there's no panel glue ups. Everything is just because all of these slabs are 30 plus inches wide and 12 foot long and two inches thick. So everything I can make is either huge book matches or just a single panel, like just a single piece. And I just said, you know, never again are you going to have the opportunity in this building to have this furniture with no glue ups really other than joinery. So so I managed to convince him of that. Uh, I may still end up doing some staining. I'm trying to, I'm hoping that they don't want that. Uh, But I do have a finish review with them in two weeks to, you know, go over colors. I put together like 20 color samples and 20 finish, you know, sheen uh, samples. So I'm hoping that I can just do maybe some shellac uh, and then some kind of varnish finish and just leave it natural. That's my hope. But um, I I have a feeling I'll be doing a bit of a, a red tint somewhere um uh-huh. just just right. kind of knowing what the wife wants to see um i think that's probably going to be the case which which is okay uh i just yeah. wasn't i just refused to paint <laughs> to paint yeah. anything yeah if, the, if you can still kind of see the grain i think i think you're okay there not to mention like um you know this the the mansion was built in just my own research 1915 yep <clears throat> so that tree was planted then like that tree was growing when president taft had lunch in that room oh yeah um, there's a there's picture something... there's a picture in the mansion or uh, in the mansion of the mansion being built and you can see the tree yeah that's, yeah yeah that that's i mean good for you to to kind of as you say put your foot down and just say look this is this is there's a disconnect here you know it, th- there's furniture and then there's furniture built from the tree that's been growing out in front of this building for generations. That's, yeah. that's really fascinating. Um, well, to- well, and the thing is, is once word got out that I was doing this, uh, it was kind of surprising how many people through, you know, Facebook or whatever that live in Howell, like um, kind of more elder generation of people messaged me, found me and messaged me like, Oh, I love that tree. You know, when I used to walk home from school, when I was a little girl, I ate lunch under there or whatever. Um, so it, the tree is a bigger deal than even I thought. And uh, I think that was why I got so passionate about, you know, showcasing that it's all from this tree. Right. Yeah, uh, actually, I found uh, in in my own digging because I was actually trying to see if I could find that picture you were talking about um, mm-hmm. of Taft because I wanted to see the uh, the the furniture as well. And there is uh, an article in the Livingston Daily. Um, there you are, yeah, <laughs> with your yep. foot on on the log, and yeah. and there's something in this article about people who are really excited to hear this, and they quote your uh, your sawmiller in here as well, saying, you know counting the growth rings this tree's been around since before the mansion itself so yeah that's that's really cool to uh to kind of continue this story 
um, you know, that's going to be in that room for, you know, a long, long, long time to come. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, the actual milling side of things. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a, this is a massive tree. So, um, did he like take it back to his place? Does he have a mobile mill? Um, how did all that go down? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a story in itself. So (laughs) like I said, uh, when all of this was being finalized, it was the dead of winter here in Michigan. Um, we lucked out in having a few kind of midwinter warm days in the fifties and he doesn't have a mobile mill. So he had to, you know, get it out of the ground and get it, uh, cut up into something that he could load on a trailer and get back to the mill. The problem was during those warm days, he managed to get, you know, everything from where it branched out up, uh, away from the property. And then the ground froze again and it froze after two days of rain. Oh, fun. So, So you know, it really froze. Yeah. So 30 foot of this tree was frozen to the ground and, you know, he's not terribly close and he's also, it's it's a business for him. So he's not available every day. You know, he's going all over the state or the Midwest picking up trees and to take back to the mill. So he wasn't available all the time. Um, we lucked out and a couple weeks, you know, we had another one of those kind of warmer rainy days. He was able to get the, you know, the first main section of the trunk out. Uh, but the, the part that was still connected to the root ball was still frozen to the ground. And wow. yeah, he managed to cut through, you know, at the base of the trunk and get through it, but it was so frozen to the ground, he couldn't get it out. So there was actually, uh, I saw in the weather forecast, I think it was probably towards the beginning of March of this year. I saw, you know, in the forecast, we were going to have like two days of rain and 50. So I call him and I said, you know, Bob, you got to get out there on these two days and free that tree up and get it out of there because, you know, the mansion owners are saying like, when are you going to get this eyesore out of here? And, uh, you know, whatever. And he's just like, I I'm out of town for a week. I can't get it. Oh, geez. So I just tell him, I'm like, if I can get it off, like unstuck, is that good enough? Like, can you take it from there? And he says, sure. So I know nothing about moving a tree or <laughs> anything. I mean, I, I have two acres of property here and I've cut down some some you know northern white pines around my property that are dying off and stuff. And, and I can cut it up in firewood. But I, I don't know the first thing about moving a 14 foot long, probably thousands of pound piece of red oak. But I knew it had to be done because after that day, it was going to drop back down into the twenties and it was just going to freeze to the ground again. So I took half day of work and I went out there with a bunch of just chunks of scrap hardwood that I had kicking around and a car jack and a shovel. (laughs) And I just kind of, you know, dug wedged uh, my car jack in somewhere, 
moved it a little, shoved a piece of wood under there. And I just kind of worked around this thing for probably two hours until I got it to break free in the two kind of still frozen places and roll. And I got it to roll, you know, all the way over kind of once away from the, uh, the base of the tree. And it was like, it was such a relief, but man, it was a ton of work. Like I, I can't even explain how much work it was, uh, comparing it to something else. But, and the thing was, is every time it would shift a little, I'd want to run, you know, cause I mean, this thing, well, you know, the, some of the spots I was at, if it shifted while I was there, it was crushing my leg. Yeah. You know, so, and I, like I said, I had no clue what I was doing. So I'm just kind of wedging stuff in and, you know, try, you know, and I had, I have an engineering degree. So, I mean, I'm kind of looking at it like, okay, I can kind of balance these weights and I'm looking at the physics of everything. Uh, but then, you know, it's, it's a tree. I don't know what it's going to do. Uh, but yeah, so I managed to break it free. Uh, and then he came and picked it up, I think like a week later when he got back into town and took it back to the mill. So yeah, just getting the tree out from in front of the mansion was a, oh, I don't know, three week process, probably. It, it, It was a lot. And he really underestimated the size and the weight. Uh, so you know, when he would come out, he'd come out expecting to get three or four big pieces and he'd be able to get two. And that would like max out his truck or his trailer or what I need. I mean, he had a one ton truck and big trailer. And even then, you know, it was a lot, it was fully alive before it came down. So it, you know, it was wet. So that thing was crazy heavy. Yeah, and and frozen, <laughs> and so and frozen no, exactly. No draining of any free water in there. It was frozen in place. Yep. Yeah, I don't even. I mean, once you got the the log moved and at least unstuck, like, I mean, how did he even get it anywhere? I mean, without a crane, I'm trying to see how you come in and lift that log to even get it onto the trailer. I mean, you know, you, you look at like you know. Matt Cremona and his log arch. Mm-hmm. I don't think this thing could do it. I don't think a log arch would do it. No, I mean, how did, how did he even get the, the main part of the log um, off the property? It was uh, yeah. I mean, he doesn't have a log arch, um, but it, it was really just a big trailer and a heavy winch. And he just drug it up onto the huh. trailer one piece at a time. Wow. Um, you know, I, like I said, I don't know uh, uh, how much it weighed, but he he managed to do it. And each of the trunk pieces uh, were 14 foot long. And like I said, you know, starting at the base, 40 something inches up to, I want to say, like 32 inches um, over that 20 plus foot stretch. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can't even imagine how much it it weighed at the time. It, something insane, I'm sure. Uh, by the way, the the guy we're talking about his name is bob allen he runs timbers to treasures mm-hmm. um timbers to treasures.com i believe is his website he's also on on instagram yep um, i found it very easily just from from your instagram page garrett um, yeah but yeah anybody in in michigan <laughs> he's got lumber um, oh yeah he's got plenty of everything yeah this is actually this is this is a cool little find in and of itself um anybody who's in the michigan uh region probably wants to know about this guy he's drying his own stuff and everything yeah so um 
how, when did you actually, when did he actually begin sawing it? So we're talking December, right? When this thing, no, you first saw it sometime around November and it was probably December or so when you had the initial conversation. Right. Yeah. So what are we in January, February at this point before the log has even been removed from the property? Correct. Yeah. We started the cleanup, I'd say towards the end of January. Um, and then it wasn't, like I said, until probably the first week of March that that final piece was taken out. Uh Um, and he really started milling it almost that next week. Um, you know, he started with the smaller branch pieces, you know, stuff that was probably 20 inches around or so. Um, anything under like, I can't, I can't remember what we talked about. I think 12 inches, I think anything under 12 inches we didn't use. Uh, cause it was just such an insane amount of wood. Um, but yeah, he, uh, I, he started milling pretty much right after that. And I think he milled the final piece, uh, I want to say around May, I think is when we were like done milling. Um, and his whole thing is he had done a lot of research because he hadn't really ever worked with oak before. Um, which is weird because we have so much oak in the area. There's a lot of oak in Michigan. Oh, I mean, it's everywhere. Like you can't, you can swing a, you know, baseball bat and you'll hit an oak tree. Um, I I think, I think to him, it was more just a business decision because once him and I started talking about it, about, you know, the drying time, because that had to be part of my quote, right, is I have to put an approximate delivery time for the furniture. And in order to do that, I need to know how long it's going to take before it's usable. So, you know, I kind of, hey, you know, Bob, how long do you think this is going to take? And his, you know, first thing he kind of came across, uh, and it's not that he'd never worked with oak before, he just didn't spend a lot of time with it. Uh, and mainly because it's right. so finicky to kiln dry, like you have to air dry oak for months. Yeah. Because yeah. if you don't have, you know, a very specific type of kiln and he has a very nice kiln, it's, it's, uh, it's just not the type that would do what it needs to do, I guess. Um, he's it looks like he's running an eye dry. Um, is it a vacuum kiln? Yeah. 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 An eye dry vacuum kiln. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. Just on his Instagram page. Sure. <laughs> There's a picture right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and basically he had said anytime in the past that he had tried to work with Oak, if he went too soon into the kiln, it would just warp and check and break and just be a disaster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he says, I-, I have to let this stuff air dry for three to five months at least before I put it in the kiln or it's just going to, you know, explode. So, you know, it was okay because I gave myself the entire year to deliver the furniture, but, you know, it was stressful uh, just because I started doing the fast math and going, oh man, you're not going to get the first load in the kiln until September. And this is May. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but luckily with the iDry system and everything, it's only in there for a few weeks uh, and it's really not that big a deal. Right. Wow. So all told, you said you came out with like 2,000 board feet, 2,500 board feet? About 2,500. Yeah. We, uh, the funny thing is, is, you know, he, he runs the whole operation in his, 
backyard more or less. So he doesn't have a lot of storage space. So as we were milling, uh, I would, I say we, he, he was milling. I would just go visit and kind of look at the pieces as they came off the, uh, the mill. Right. Stay out of the way as much as possible. <laughs> exactly. Just kind of yeah. be the guy standing in the corner. Um, uh, I, uh, would just kind of pick, you know, like we're going to keep this, we're going to keep this, we're going to keep this. And I really only ended up keeping probably 800 board foot, maybe, which, mm-hmm. uh, at least keeping to go into the kiln, I should say. Um, but the funny thing was, is he, after we were done milling everything, he just kind of looked at me and said, where do you want me to put all the rest of this wood? And I just looked at him like, oh, well, I figured you would just keep it here. Right. Cause this is your business. And he's, came back with, uh, no, I don't have the room for 1600 board foot of, of red Oak. Uh, so it's all at my house now. And <laughs> I have, so if anyone needs any air dried red Oak anywhere between an inch and a quarter and three inches, feel free to contact me on Instagram because I have, Oh, I don't know, 12 to 1600 board foot of red Oak, wow. you know, stacked up. I, I made a spot for it. I covered it. You know, I sealed the ends, but it, it's more than I'll use in a lifetime. What was the thickness? Uh, I have six pieces at three inches, and then everything else is about an inch and a half. Wow. A- anywhere from eight to 12 foot long, and anywhere from 10 to 20 inches wide. Jeez. So... You know, I think chair makers <laughs> maybe yeah, would, right? would want dried, all that air dried red oak. Yeah. There's a, a whole lot of whole lot of Windsor spindles. Exactly. <laughs> sitting in there and some uh, some bow arms and things like that. Well, um, well, you never know. Um, I, I assume did you include chairs aren't included in your. Delivery, no, are they? no. OK, well, see, there you go. There, there could be a follow up, you know, if you want um, <laughs> if you want some chairs. Right. <laughs> I got another an additional, you know, a thousand board feet of, of 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 oak over here. We make some chairs. Well, I actually Jeez. it was funny in the original quote I, I quoted making them kind of like in a, an entryway sitting bench, like a Windsor style mm-hmm. uh sitting bench. And they were interested in that. And at the but you know, I was trying to be like, hey, look, you know, red oak, Windsor, this is a thing, you know. <laughs> Uh, but no, they weren't interested in that, but yeah, that, that was originally on the quote was like a nice, you know, Windsor style bench. Right. Well, you know, you, you, uh, you can maybe find another customer for that. Oh yeah. Um, the, the lumber, the lumber is yours. Uh, You'll be building, you'll be really familiar with red oak. Yes. um, Going forward at this point. So, um, did you have, uh, a lot of, kind of input i know you said uh you as i said kind of stay out of the way during the sawing but did you and bob kind of talk about the sawing and the plan for sawing the log i mean at that point you knew you were going to need at least some big slabs for the table correct yes so you could at least say okay i need to at least have you know 10 foot sections or probably more like 12 foot sections just to be sure and all that um yeah. What, uh, how did that go? How was the actual like planning the sign going? So how much of a hand in that did you have? I, I think, um, you know, as I was thinking about what we may talk about, this is something that I thought, uh, as far as a lesson learned, 
I should have had much more involvement. Um, the thing about Bob is that he's an excellent sawyer and has plenty of great wood, but he's not a furniture maker. So mm. yeah, good point. I couldn't be there. I have a full-time job. He's cutting, you know, at one o'clock on a Tuesday. I can't be there for that. Uh, he, so a lot of the cuts that he made, I would have made differently just because some of the most kind of pretty live edge parts, he didn't cut thick enough for a tabletop. Oh no. Like he cut them for lumber and they're cut about an inch and a half, which is good. But once you mill them and everything, you're probably looking at an inch and a quarter, maybe an inch, uh, which for a huge conference table is just so thin. Um, so that was one thing that, you know, if anyone were to do this, um, really make sure you're there when they're cutting them or uh, that the sawyer you're working with maybe has some experience either making furniture or working with furniture makers so that they're kind of looking at it with the eye of uh, these would be really pretty for this or this would be really great for that. Um, I mean, I did... Uh, stipulate, you know, like you said, uh, I'm going to need, you know, cut this whole section in two and a quarter inch by 12 foot because I'm going to want to pick from that whole section for the tabletop, that sort of thing. And, but like I said, when you're looking at it as just a log, you you can't really envision exactly what it's going to look like when it's cut. So, yeah. And it is one of those things where, well, as you say, you can't be there, you know, you've got right. a job to get to. And a lot of times it's decisions being made on the fly. Um, and, and what you're talking about is not an uncommon situation. I mean, it's a lot of work to saw up a log. Oh, so yeah. who has time to build furniture? You know, right. my Absolutely. job is Sawyer, not furniture maker. There are some these days that, you know, that, that run a wood miser or, you know, a timber king or something like that, that, you know, wanted to, to mill their own lumber and maybe they, now are a sawyer, but used to be a furniture maker. But more often than not, at least in, in my circles um, that I run with in very large commercial operations, these guys have never built anything. They just make boards all yeah. day long. Um, and, and there's a lot of decisions that get made. And many times it's all about yield, you know, getting um, commercially in demand cuts and the best, the best quality out of those. Well, you know, 20 inch wide stuff is not commercially in demand. Um, right. Moreover, FAS grade says you have to have a six inch by eight foot cutting. Um, so why would I bother to cut a 15 inch wide board when I can cut it into two and have two FAS boards, which is going to net me a better profit in the, in, in the long run. So um, a lot of these guys are thinking also, frankly, it's just easier to put in the kiln. It's easier to dry all of that stuff. Sure. Um, but it, it can also be a reason to stipulate, because remember, technically this log is yours. Like you've, you've, for lack of a better term, contracted with the property owners. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess technically the log is theirs. Um, but the, the Sawyer does not own the log. The Sawyer is charging you to do this. So you, you have every right to say, look, this is what needs to be done. Um, and I do think that's where a lot of this kind of just through sawn, you know, slab sawn lumber makes a good, good sense. 
because then you, the woodworker, have kind of these blank slate slabs that you can then dissect and turn into furniture parts from there. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound like he somehow didn't do a good job. He did a, fan- oh, no, no, he no, did no, a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, when I started, uh, well, for example, I just got the first load from the kiln uh, two weeks ago. And that's all of the stuff that's around inch and a quarter to inch and a half. So that's like my primary build material. You know, that's every, you know, 90% of everything will be made out of that. But a couple of the slab pieces that came with that, if he would have cut them at two and a half, two and a quarter, just those two pieces, those would have been the tabletop. You know what I mean? So like if I would have been there, I would have saw it and been like, that's the tabletop right there. Right. Cut those at two and a half inches. And he just didn't do that, which is okay. Cause I didn't tell him to, I said this chunk sure. cut two and a half. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right. And, and I think that once again is something to pass on to anyone thinking about doing this is really make sure you're specific, uh, in the cuts and really make sure you're uh, maybe even if you can try to organize the time that cuts are made so that you can be there. Yeah. You know, him, I just kind of said, yeah, man, whenever you got time, put it up there, let it rip, let's go. You know, so it was never like a, Hey, I, I, can I come out? Can we do it Tuesday at four and I can be there? It, It was like, okay, I can cut Friday, whether you're here or not. That's what I'm cutting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You never know, you know, much is lost for one of asking. Um, he may have been able to coordinate with you, but it is hard. Like you said, it's this huge log and right. just trying to wrap your head around. So here's the other point. You are fortunate that you actually had a commission. Like you had an intended purpose for this log. I need to build this table, need to build this sideboard. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us are not in that situation you know, here's a tree. Um, I want boards out of it. And maybe, I don't know, I might be able to build this or this, or a lot of times it's just, it's just lumber. And we don't know, you know, what the the part sizes would be. And it becomes even more complex at that point. Um, so then you're deferring to the judgment of the Sawyer and saying, well, you know, get me the best yield right. um, out of it from there. So um, what you're detailing is, is an incredibly common situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess if there were any um, kind of rule of learning, rule of thumb, I don't know there's such a thing as a rule of thumb when it comes to sawing logs. If there was anything to come out of it, um, probably thicker is better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, saw, saw everything, I would say 10 quarter or greater, um, just because there's a stability aspect in there, especially if that board, if you don't use it for a while, it's going to be in a lot better shape if it was, you know, 10 quarter, eight quarter, maybe, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, as, as the woodworker, you know, even the, the weekend woodworker knows about resawing, you know, sure. knows about breaking down parts. Um, and, and I guess, unless you were trying for, you know, quarter cuts or something like that, um, through sawn, plain sawn, um, to give, give me as, you know, as, as, wide as possible and as thick as possible that I can still move. Um, right. Keeping in mind that in your particular case with that size of a log. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a 10 quarter, 30 inch wide slab. I don't think you can move. Uh, I certainly couldn't move. Not with my, 
my setup, I don't have a forklift or any of that type of stuff. So yeah, I mean, um, luckily I have a tractor so I can move something, but not, uh, yeah, some it's pretty heavy. Um, yeah. going, going back really quick to your previous, uh, point that you made though, it, I will say the one nice thing that he did do, uh, overall was that he pretty much kept everything as a slab, um, hmm. which yeah. is really, really great that now I have all these kiln dried slabs in my garage where I store all the lumber and, you know, for like this Bowfront buffet, I was able to sort through and I found, you know, all these single pieces where the, the grain curve is going to match the curve of the bow front, you know, so all of my flat pieces, all of that grain is going to be, you know, right in line with the design. And, and, and like you were saying, being able to have the commission, being able to design everything beforehand and then say, you know, I'm going to need this for this and this for that. Uh, it, it was really great to, you know, get everything as just these huge chunks. And then kind of, I have a bunch of forms that I made out of uh, masonite basically. And I can just lay them on top of these slab pieces and just, you know, move them around until I see like, oh, okay, yeah, that's going to be really great uh, for the top of the sideboard and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I've said this uh, a lot of times, especially to um, uh, like some of my hand tool school students, that's my absolute favorite part of a project is taking the raw lumber and like fitting the parts into it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and going for that grain and color match and figuring out, you know, you're building chest of drawers. Can I get consistent grain through all the drawer fronts or, you know, I've got a curve here. Where do I have curve in the grain and how do I play with that? I mean, that is so much fun. And, and I think, you know, takes up a, a piece from good to great when you can really embrace the grain. And when you have a tree of this significance, this historical significance, it's almost a, an imperative. Yeah. Right? That, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, pay attention to the grain as much as possible. Um, yeah. Wow. And like really I said cool. earlier, I mean, I just really in the back of my mind, every time I'm sorting through the boards or when I was doing the design work, uh, the whole time I'm saying to myself, what's the best way to showcase that this was one tree uh, on, like you said, on the drawer fronts or on the top, uh, the buffet top or the sides? I mean, the sides uh, are going to be two and a quarter inches thick of the case because I'm going to, you know, mill the curve because the, the bow front wraps all the way around. It's not just on the front. It's the sides, too. So mm -hmm. I'm, you know, going to dovetail this case together and then mill the sides to match the curve of the top. And knowing that I have to have it be, you know, about two inches thick to, in order to have, you know, a three quarter inch reveal on the front and still have the right radius uh, on the sides vertically to, to match the top and the base and have it all, you know, kind of work together. Uh, is, is just, you know, it's really huge when it came to milling and everything. I knew, I knew I had to have this many pieces at this thickness in order to make my design work. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's such an exciting project though. Um, on the whole, uh, I mean, looking at, at the log and just, again, 
big straight log. Mm-hmm. How has how has the wood been? I know you don't haven't had too much time to actually work with it, but like you never know yeah. until you crack open the log what's going to be in there. How do the boards look? I mean, is it clear? I mean, yeah. what kind of a it's what it's, is what's the inner to the tree like? I guess it's gorgeous. I mean, <laughs> it's I feel like uh, you know I, I am as self-deprecating as they come. So I feel like I'm not worthy to be working with this wood. It It is absolutely gorgeous. You know, I just took the two and, and I'll, I'll text you a picture of them, but I just took the first two pieces to my local uh, mill house because I don't have a big enough joiner to make, you know, the top and the bottom of this buffet are 22 and a half inches wide. Wow. So I needed a milled and I, these are out of the kilns, you know, so they're ready to go. I took them over there yesterday in a rough, you know, cut condition. And as I was helping the guy get them, you know, I'm on the other side of the planer. As I'm bringing them out of the planer, it, even he, this guy who, I mean, this place Armstrong Millworks by where I live, it's been in business forever. And the guys that work there have worked there forever. And even he took a second and he was like, this might be the prettiest red oak I've ever seen. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I just kind of looked at him and in my head, I'm like screaming, like, you're not worthy. But I just kind of <laughs> looked at him and I was like, yeah, I-, I know. Like, this is a lot of pressure to not screw this up because this wood is so gorgeous. Yeah. I just found a couple of pictures of the bow front uh, on your Instagram. The, what is this? Uh, is this a, I'm not sure what this piece is, but I can see the bent form that you have here. It looks like it was kerf bent. Oh, that's the, uh, that is the base to the Bowfront buffet. So, uh, I'm just looking at the Ray Fleck around the the side and yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It, uh, well, if you go, um, you know, not to shamelessly self promote, but if you go on my YouTube page, you can see, I have two videos about the whole design process of the table and the bowfront. So that, that will go, you know, if anyone's interested, you can go on there and I walk through all the 3d model, you know, of each one to kind of show what everything's going to look like in the end. Um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll actually link to that in the show notes because you know, there are woodworkers listening to this. So we're all like, okay, I want to, I want to get my head around this design. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So um, at this point, you really have just started working with the wood. What are you thinking delivery-wise? Um, and, and what kind of communication have you had um, back to the client? So uh, I have, uh, you know, communication to the client, to me, as someone who's been a client of many things in the past, communication to me is paramount. Um, I, hate, I hate when I don't know what's going on. So... Yeah. You know, basically every month since the tree left, I've just sent them a quick, hey, this is where we're at. Um, And that seemed to work out really well. Uh, I have a meeting with them in two weeks to go over finishes. Um, And like I said, I have probably 20 plus little blocks of red oak with all sorts of uh, dyes and finish options. Um, So I'm kind of doing everything I can without needing to know a finish right now. Mm-hmm. So I have this yeah. base to the Bowfront buffet, uh, all glued up and, and done. And then I have to put the, uh, the top and the bottom just to the base. Cause the base is going to be separate from the case. Uh, I'm going to kind of, I guess, 
attach the case to the, the base of the cabinet. Um, so that will be kind of in the, the waiting phase probably after this weekend. And then I'll move on to the stave construction of the table base. And I'm also still waiting for all this two and a half inch stuff to come out of the kiln, which still has about a month. Um, mm-hmm. So then I'll kind of being in a holding pattern, but I think, you know, barring any personal issues or work stuff, um, I, I told them approximate delivery date would be uh, December 31st. So I, I think I'm still on track to do that. You know, I, I can't foresee any reason why, um, you know, other than kind of just probably personal blocks like this is the third version of this bowfront buffet base because <laughs> uh-huh. i did one where i did the form and the kerf and i just totally mucked it up and threw it away and then i did a second one and i got the whole thing done and then as i was working on the little finish samples i was staring at it for over an hour and i noticed it was lopsided by about an inch so the radius was high on one side but I had already had it completely glued up and done. So I had to scrap that and start on a third one. And the third one is, is perfect. So, I mean, I'm done, but just that alone, once again, just being kind of nights and weekends set me back two weeks probably. Uh, But hopefully, you know, well, look at it this way. At least you have plenty of wood. (laughs) Yeah. You know, honestly, that's what I keep telling myself is like, Hey man, it's okay. You've got, you know, I have right now in my garage, I have 660 board foot, uh, which is, you know, itself is enough to make three of these sideboards probably. Um, right. So yeah, and I just still, how much is still in the kiln? Uh, another 500, I think is in the kiln. Wow. And then that's the end. What's of it. interesting. Do you have any idea of, I mean, I know you, you, um, you guys discarded, you know, fair bit of the branches, anything under 12 inches, I think you said, mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming what did, uh, did Bob just like make firewood out of that or? Yeah. Yeah. He just, any of the real little stuff, he just chipped it up and then anything under 12 inches, I'm pretty sure he just right. bucked it into firewood. Do you have any idea what kind of waste factor came out of the log? I mean, looking at, at the grain that, that I can see, I mean, this looks like a, a very clear tree. Um, and that central bowl was so tall. There's, there's no branching at all. Right. Um, like was any of it not good? I mean, how much of it didn't make it into boards? Any idea? I, I would say very little. I mean, I don't have an, a, an actual number, but, um, hmm. just going by what I saw when I was there, when he would be milling and going by yeah. what I have in my air dried stock and kiln now kiln dried. Um, I would say anything, that was used to just make a flat face to start as a reference on the mill. Right. That was probably the only waste. Yeah. Yeah. And half of that was cambium layer. Right. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're completely correct in this, you know, the first 30 foot of this tree was absolutely clear. And I mean, there's Mm -hmm. no old, you know, grown over branches. There's nothing. It, It is completely clear tree. Like the lumber is just astonishing. Did you ever get like a final ring count to, to determine the age of the tree? I know that that article that I found 
where they quoted Bob. He said, we won't know until we can roll the tree over and count the rings. I just wonder if anybody ever did that. Yeah, that was the tree is. That interview was done while that last piece was still frozen to the ground. So, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I put two and two together yeah. on that one. <laughs> so, so we couldn't get the count. Um, we did our best to, you know, and uh, we ended up around 160 years. Jeez. Yeah. So, it, so what's your, um, again, you may not know the answer to these, but what's like the growth ring per inch in like the heartwood, like the, the center parts? some of those big slabs have you been able to i mean it must be really fine grain it is i i couldn't tell you the growth ring per inch um i could certainly update you when i get the next batch of slabs because those are from the largest part of the trunk uh but yeah i I wouldn't be able to tell you right offhand but it's it's very tight i mean it's if you look at the one of those fun um fun buzzwords that have made it into the 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 general nomenclature of architects these days okay i i now get specs at at work where we need this species and it has to be this many growth rings per inch oh wow and i just want to know like who started this (laughs) because i want to go smack you yeah it's Um, it's not even something i was thinking about to be honest yeah yeah it's and, and i think more than anything like it's not like anybody has like a number in mind they just want you know, to think, oh, it's old growth or whatever. Right. But here, here is, you know, if, if we can kind of land the plane on yeah. this story. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. It's a, it's a fantastic kind of wrap up. What I like about this is you're not the Sawyer. Um, you're, you're like me, you're just a, you know, a weekend woodworker, yeah. you know, um, doesn't have the, really the capacity. <laughs> I'm surprised you moved a thing, um, you know, and, and thank goodness you didn't hurt yourself, but by kind of reaching out to a Sawyer, you had already done some business with kind of partnering with, with them, you were able to, and partnering with the landowner, Mm -hmm. you were able to, first of all, get the rights to use the tree. You were able to remove the tree and get it sawn into boards. And now it's up to you, no pressure, um, (laughs) (laughs) turn it, you know, turn it in, into furniture. But even beyond this commission, you have a massive amount of lumber that is going to continue to to tell this story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 10 years from now, you're still going to be building stuff, you know, with McPherson Oak. That's what's just, you're going to have a whole, a whole line of furniture, oh, <laughs> the I, McPherson line yeah. um, that, that continues to tell the story. Now I do think um, one of the other kind of morals, if you will, that we can get out of this is when we do reclaim um, cause I don't know what else to call this when we're able to utilize, uh, an, an historical tree like this, the payoff is huge because you get grain like that, mm-hmm. you get, you know, little to no waste factor from the log because that tree has been there for hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's not going to be as common, you know, when we start talking about a lot of the urban lumber stories that I've been having in previous episodes, where the tree may be 40 years old or, you know, maybe 60 years old, um, you, you may not quite have that same luck. Now, let's be fair. Northern red oak is particularly agreeable. Um, you know, it, it's a long, straight bowl. Um, generally, you can, you don't get a whole lot of gnarly defects and things like you would in walnut or something. Um, oak and maple, nice and clear. Um, so that's a, it's a great, uh, great example there that, that you have. Mm-hmm. But I just love that, this is a this is a a story that's going to continue to be told 
for quite a bit of time in the future. And it still remains the the same that um, you're just a regular woodworker. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and to, to do this, I'm, I'm trying to get philosophical here, <laughs> but um, to, to do this, this idea of, of urban logging and local sawyers and, and not letting these trees go to waste, you don't have to be Matt Cremona. Um, to pull it off. Sure. You don't have to have, you know, a, a telehandler and, you know, a, a trailer you built yourself and all that fun stuff. Um, well, and there, there, there are people out there that can help you. And the thing is, too, uh, you know, being a weekend woodworker, uh, my shop's in my basement. You know, I don't have I don't have like a huge uh, shop. Just getting the slabs to the shop is difficult. Yeah. I mean, I have to come down two flights of stairs with a turn. And I'm going to have to get these 12 foot by 24 inch or so slabs down into my shop to, to bake the table and then get, I'm going to have to assemble the entire table in my dining room upstairs, because if I assembled it in my shop, I wouldn't be able to get it out, you know? (laughs) So, uh, you know, Uh, I did that. I did that with a king size bed. I mean, fortunately beds, by design are meant to be knocked down because you they don't fit through anything. But I assembled it on my workbench and then I realized I had, you know, the expression painted yourself into a corner. Yeah. <laughs> I had assembled myself into a corner. I couldn't get out of my shop. Right. And until I took apart the bed. <laughs> I was like, whoops, this was poorly planned. Yeah. 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 That's that's a yeah, just make sure your designs account for the fact that you got to get it through doorways and up stairwells and around corners and yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. Not to mention, where is that air dried stuff? Like, you know, fortunately, you said you have some land. Yes, um, but how how have you stored it? So I actually made a very valid effort to store it well. So I, sure. you know, I mentioned I I have a tractor, so I was able to kind of level off a decent chunk, brought in a you know I don't know ten yards of gravel. And then just kind of built a makeshift lean to, uh, and then I have them stacked and stickered. And then I have just kind of, um, some roofing, like sheet metal roofing on top of them with a tarp over everything, but Mm -hmm. there's still plenty of airflow. Everything's stacked and stickered weighted. Um, yeah, I tried to do the best I can because I looked at it like, like you said, right. I'm going to have a lot of this McPherson Oak to use yeah. for future projects. And I've already thought of that, right? Like I've got enough here for a dining table and chairs and I've got enough here for this. And maybe my kids are going to want something 20 years from now. Uh, so I wanted to make right. sure it was all still, you know, very usable. Um, sure. And, and yeah, luckily I have a couple acres. So, you know, I was able to, to make that work. Well, keep an eye on it as you move into next summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think you're going to have bug issues. I mean, it's fortunate the tree felled when it did, and then it went into the deep freeze for a while, and then it was all sawn and uh, such. So the dried stuff is not a problem, but the air dried stuff, it's one of those things you just want to keep an eye on little sawdust piles, make sure you don't have any bugs. Yeah. Because obviously red oak and the powder post beetle are um, a thing. Sure. Uh, a very big thing. Um, but it's also interesting. Um, I've seen some studies and I've also seen these studies refuted at the same time, but a lot of the old growth trees, um, haven't been hit quite as hard because so much of the tree 
is heartwood, mm-hmm. you know, bitter tasting heartwood. Um, and the powder post beetles are, you know, while there's nice sugary, sweet, younger trees nearby, they haven't, they've kind of left a lot of the old growth trees alone or haven't bothered to, to go past the, the sapwood or the cambium labor layer at all. Yeah. So a lot of these old growth trees, you know, you saw them and, and like you have this beautiful, clear, straight grain with no infestation whatsoever. Um, but now that the tree is sawn and it is, you know, dropping moisture left and right. Um, I mean, just, just stand next to a sawn red oak board. It smells. Oh yeah. It's, oh yeah. It smells great. I think, mm-hmm. but that smell is essentially off gassing and all that stuff that bugs like, um, you could, you could have just hung out a big neon sign yeah. in other words. So, yeah. Come, come yeah. buffet, uh, all you can eat. Right. So, um, not, not to, not to freak you out, but just pay attention to it. And you know, the occasional treatment with some dilute borax might be a good, a good idea. Um, halfway through the summer. Yeah. I mean, I'll, sure I'll uh, purpose. I'll certainly keep, I mean, I do keep an eye on it. You know, every time I mow the lawn or something, I drive by it and I'll, you know, glance at it lovingly. So pat it, yep. you know, rub it, talk, <laughs> Give it a little talk, hug, talk to it, hug when no one's lessing, looking. Yep. Yeah. I, I get it. Now I think, I think that's fantastic. And this, like you said, it, it really puts a, a pretty bow on the end of this because this is what we're talking about. I mean, not, of course you're going to take care of that because of the story now, Yeah. Um, because of, um, as, as you said to, to the Myers, you know, the respect that this tree deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Thank well, you. So cool. Good, good luck in getting everything done. I'm certainly going to be paying close attention to, um, um, your Instagram and, and YouTube and everything to see how all the, the whole thing comes together. Um, can't wait to see kind of it in, in place. Um, yeah. In the taft room, whatever the heck they're going to call it. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. No, I mean, I, I really appreciate you reaching out to me, um, and taking the time to talk to me. This is, this is really great. And, uh, you know, I really hope, people check it out. You know, it, it, to me, it's kind of this dream project that when I reached out to him, I thought there's no way this will ever yeah. happen. Cause I'm just some guy. Uh, right. And you know, I, I lucked out and I, I'm just really well, excited. I, I think to, to, for I everyone think to a see lot it. of us feel the same way, you know, and, and what we, the reality is, is the people who lose the tree are in the same situation, like, oh, crap, <laughs> what am I going to do with this now? You know, how much is this going to cost me to remove, you know, at the, at the worst case, you know, where they, they maybe the, they they just see it as a nuisance. Um, you were very fortunate that while it is, uh, you know, a nuisance and an eyesore to have a fallen tree in the front, they also recognized, you know, this was important. We can't just like throw it away. Yeah. Um, so... I think we, as the woodworkers, have an obligation to make that phone call, to send that email when we see that tree down. Um, I have a similar story from a, a woodworker up in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, um, in kind of Amish country, uh, Lancaster County, PA, who every day on his way to work, he drove by a tree, a cherry tree that had this enormous burl on it. Mm-hmm. And he always thought, wow, that, I bet that's incredible. And then one day he was driving and he... Uh, uh, he was following like a tree removal truck and that tree removal truck stopped in front of that house. And he was kind of like, Oh, good Lord. To the point where at lunch, he then left his office and went to see, and sure enough, they were taking down that tree. And he immediately like marched up the path, knocked on the front door and said, 
what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do with this tree? Yeah. And he's, and fortunately he was able to, to salvage the burl. And if you go to this guy's shop in Lidditz, he has like stacks of, you know, burls tend to be kind of round ish. Mm-hmm. They are, um, 72 inch diameter, six foot diameter burls. Wow. Um, so imagine like, you know, ingrain cookies. Cause that's all burl is, is just crazy, massive ingrain. Yeah. He has these burl cookies that are six foot in diameter. And I think he's got like 10 or 12 of them that's stacked up and he's built several pieces from them, but it's the same situation you're in where he's got this massive amount of lumber and he's just going to kind of use it as, you know, the project when the project is worthy, he will use that type of thing. And it was the same situation. It was just kind of like drove by it every day and thought, you know, I don't know who, who am I? I'm just some guy, but he went and knocked on the door mm-hmm. and you know, the rest is history. So there, there's the takeaway folks who are listening to this, yeah. you know, you may just be some guy, but the person who owns the property, who had the tree is also some guy right, <laughs> right. who's trying to figure out what am I going to do with this, you know, 17 ton log that's out in front of my, my house right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, fantastic. Well, congratulations, Garrett. Um, Thank you. And, and good luck. Um, with the rest of this project. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad you reached out to me because I think, I think it's a great, uh, it's a great story and one that's not done yet. So I'm anxious to follow the rest of it. So that in mind, um, how can people follow your progress on this? How do they find you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Instagram is really where I'm at the most, usually every day, every other day. So that's, uh, at HMR underscore woodcraft. And then my website, is hmrwoods with an s dot com and youtube is just hmr custom woodcraft so nice the links are on the website to everything but yeah instagram is where i'm at almost every day i usually try to get an hour in the shop every day um and it's this is literally all i'll be working on for the next three months so uh (laughs) yeah so you'll see plenty of updates that's great fantastic well, again, thanks for your time today. Thanks for the story. And uh, I, I can't wait to see uh, how you wrap all this thing up. All right. Yeah. Thank you.